This is Constructing the Clubhouse, the world's number one podcast about building a comedy club in Barcelona during a pandemic. I, of course, am your host, as always, Dr. Matthew John Murtha III. Joining me, the beautiful John Ellis. Hello. And today, our very special guest, world-renowned, fantastic comic, Mr. Tamar Catan. Hey, thank you. What a lovely introduction. Yeah, well, thanks. It's I, nice. I work out. You know. <laughs> I was doing lat raises just to work on that introduction. Lat ra- lats are pull-downs. Yeah. There's no lat raises. Not the way I do them. <laughs> then it's engaging your shoulders. What the fuck kind of doctor are you? What do you know? Hi, everybody. It's Dr. Nick. God damn it. I'm a doctor, not a personal trainer. So we have an exciting episode. I have uh, a long list of things to talk about. Oh, okay. That's, all. That's flattering. That's yeah. nice to hear. Let's start out with the fact that uh, you saw my balls. No. I did see your balls. <laughs> I've all, had, uh, all one of them. Man, so today's been such a great day. I forgot that I'm wearing pants with a giant hole in the crotch. <laughs> yeah. These are meant for Saturday night. It's great. Yeah. So, Tamar, uh, why don't you give our listeners a little background on who you are? Who and, I am? And what your comedy's about. It may, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, say why I'm here. Maybe, maybe I'll use that as the platform. Uh, I am living in Europe now uh, because I've done a very weird thing, right? I was living in New York. I finally got to the career version of a foothold, right? Yeah. Where I was passed at the clubs I want to be passed at. I was gigging multiple times every night. I was paying my rent with just stand-up money. And That's possible. It is very possible in a place like New York yeah, where you could, do, you could do 10 shows a night, you know? I mean, I remember there was one day where I said, I'm not going to perform today. I'm going to take the night off. And I literally, and I think I did five shows. <laughs> wow. Just from hanging out, just from being, you know, at the clubs. And it was to the point where after one week of every month, my rent was paid. And I was like, wow, this is a reality and this is my life now. And I finally, I did it, you know, and I didn't, but I got a little bit lazy. I didn't need to do social media. It was very hard to write new material because in New York, something a lot of people don't talk about is it's, everybody talks about how hard it is to get into the club, but they don't realize the really hard part is how do you stay there? And so there's always eyes watching. You always want to kill. You don't want to have an off night because there's a bunch of hands knocking on the door saying, when's my turn? When's my turn? So it becomes a scary place to try new material. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, um, it's counterintuitive because a lot of people think the more stage time, the better. And there's no point of diminishing return. And I think that's, a, that's wrong. So how I ended up here is a pandemic happened. And New York is a phenomenal city uh, when it's an outdoor city. <laughs> but when you're trapped inside your tiny apartment and you're laying on your bed and staring at your bathtub and your stove and... My God, when the noise of the normal people goes down, the noise of the crazy, crazy people goes up in New York. And it became a very stressful city for me. And um, I never spent time at home in New York. I never, I literally have never owned a TV in New York because I'd come home and immediately fall asleep because I Where was were exhausted. Where you what, what Lower East Side. Okay. So in the Lower East Side, I was very close to Chinatown. Yeah. Um, during a pandemic that people thought was exclusively um, caused by Chinatown and um, people were scared because we didn't And just know. for the record, I want to state that we now know that it was actually, in fact, caused by Chinese scientists. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> a, I have no idea what caused it. <laughs> but it was a trippy area, man. I was, I was across the, the Brooklyn Bridge. Uh, from, I was across from Brooklyn. I could see Chinatown on one side and then the projects on the other. So I saw some really gnarly things, you know, like really intense stuff. I got COVID immediately. 
because the clubs in New York are basement comedy clubs. And on top of that, I was working at a world-famous boxing gym called uh, Overthrow. And Overthrow was the magazine that Abby Hoffman owned uh, when he, when he par- was part of the Yippies, the Chicago 7 or whatever that stopped the Vietnam War. And so that building is, is famous. Like people come from all over the world to box and they don't know how to box. So Holy when shit. they came in, people from all sorts of countries were throwing their hands in my face saying, can you please wrap my hands? <laughs> yeah. So I was in basement comedy clubs and wrapping hands of visiting tourists. So I got COVID immediately and recovered um, pretty quickly. But ba- and back then, they were like, once you have COVID and recover, that's it. You're never going to get it again. So I found myself in a very Will Smith like experience. I was walking <laughs> around New York freely oh. with a piece of paper from my doctor saying I've recovered from COVID in my yeah, back pocket. Yeah. I was walking through Times Square when it was empty uh, w- on the subway when it was just me and homeless people and nobody <laughs> else. It was I mean, 4 a.m. <laughs> but, but it was at three in the afternoon. You know, yeah. it was that it was very bizarre. And the thing about New York is every, as soon as I went for a walk, there were ambulances everywhere and you saw people being pulled out in gurneys. So the intensity of COVID was really intense it new york is big from floor to ceiling whereas la was big from coast you know from width wise and new york was very big height wise Mm -hmm. you could walk new york in a day from the top of manhattan to the bottom but the the number of people in one block is really high so man covid felt really intense so when did you decide to jump ship so i was on uh bumble and when i was a kid i used to and i couldn't afford to travel i would travel with YouTube videos, you know, and as a way to kind of almost like an advent calendar, you know, like to prepare myself for these vacations that I wanted to thirst for. And, and when you were a kid, when I was younger, like in college and stuff, okay, you know, I'd be like, Hey, I want to travel to this place. So I'm just going to, you know, download a bunch of content, watch videos, watch movies, all this stuff to get me excited about the place I'm going to go. But when I was in New York, uh, I was meant to come to Barcelona, um, to do shows yeah. and stuff. And then COVID happened and everything got locked out. So I'm like, fuck it. I'll, I want to go to Barcelona uh, psychologically, mentally. And I found out that Bumble had a passport feature where you can put yourself in Barcelona. Yeah. And that's what I did. And I literally had a profile that kind of said, don't date me. I'm like, I'm selfish. I'm greedy. If you want to, don't ask me why I'm single. I'll tell you why I'm single because I'm selfish. I'm single because, uh, I, I, I don't, I have no interest in getting married. I have and no let me guess. Every hot woman was like, Ooh, <laughs> no, it really red w- flags, please. You know what? I think because I was so transparent, I actually did get a lot of people of course, messaging dude, me. Women have the worst taste in men. That's what I've, I've come to <laughs> Thanks. learn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't say that I said not to date me. And then when people date you, I'm the asshole for saying that. No, like he, no. Well, I, they didn't say I was the asshole for saying it. The, thi- I, the thing that was surprising is Anna, my now yeah. wife, messaged me back with the same kind of response, saying, "Well, I'm also terrible at this, and I'm terrible at that." And then I noticed this tattoo on her forearm. Uh, it was a Mel Brooks tattoo, and it said, "It's great to be the king." Holy shit! And I was like, yeah. "Oh my god!" So I started speaking to her and realizing that she's a huge comedy fan and knows the comedy business as well as comedy because she was a huge, you know, podcast person. The podcast, podcasting side of comedy is massive in Sweden, I think because of the weather. So <laughs> she was like really big into Swedish comedy podcasts and her hometown in Sweden is an amazing comedy town. Like some really phenomenal Swedish comic come out, come out of there. So we met and I don't think I've ever met someone online where the environment uh, cr- created a, a, a situation where I could speak to someone six hours a day every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we were both trapped. So we spoke for six hours a day, every day, and I f- fucking fell in love with her. 
And then she said, you already had COVID and recovered. I already had COVID and recovered. My German roommate went back to Germany to spend quarantine. Why don't you come and spend the summer with me? And I flew to Barcelona with my doctor's paper in hand. And when I landed here, um, the Catalan being the Catalan <laughs> said, no, we changed the law yesterday. <laughs> and I'm like, I was in the air yesterday. And they're like, well, we feel really bad, but you have to come with us to jail. <laughs> yeah, true story. They, they took That's me to so jail nuts. and they made me spend the night in jail. They, they took my passport. They, I mean, they were to be on, they were fair. And uh, they had, a, they brought me an attorney um, who spoke English and they brought a translator and explained my rights and explained that I wasn't a criminal. I was just- In uh, jail. Yeah, I was just gonna <laughs> stay in jail. And the next day they sent me back like fucking Hannibal Lecter. Like they waited till the plane was fully boarded. Then two cops took me up in an armored car and they handed my passport to the stewardess and then sat me down next to this sweet lady and her kid <laughs> who's probably looking at me like, Jesus Christ, who is this guy? Yeah. You know what I mean? Were you doing the stash? I didn't have the mustache yet, but I did have the bald head and a demon on my arm and flames on the other. You know what I mean? So she was like, holy crap. You know, I look like an extra. Oh, you should have fucked with her. Oh, dude. I I can't believe they caught me. I I felt too guilty. I was too exhausted from not sleeping in the, the, I didn't sleep very well in the jail cell. Too much sex. (laughs) It's a funny thing though, because it's kind of the the spine of my, my, my solo that I'm bringing here actually. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to, this is the first place I'm doing it is here. And I'm, I'm going to take it to the Ed Fringe is that. My comedy started with me making fun of my relationship with my dad. Like my dad was physically abusive and not a good dad. And my mom confronted him and said, why are you so mean to your son? And he said, because when I was a kid, I was very much in love with my dad. And when my dad died, it devastated me. So I want to keep distance from him so that when I die, he won't get his heart broken. So it makes you realize he wasn't a piece of shit. He was just a very broken man. Yeah. Right. So all these years later, I keep thinking to myself, I grew up without a dad. My dad was a bad dad. My dad thought it was, my dad caused all these problems. But if it wasn't for my dad, the only thing he ever spoke to me about in a loving way was the Beatles. Because my dad was in a Beatles cover band. (laughs) And if it wasn't for my dad telling me. Dad was in a Beatles cover band. In Egypt. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But if it wasn't for him talking to me about the Beatles, I wouldn't have known that John Lennon married Yoko Ono in Gibraltar. <laughs> and if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have known that we had another option, one more option before the world closed the down. Yeah. And then so we met in Gibraltar and we literally have our wedding picture in the exact same spot that John Lennon and Yoko Ono got married. That's and I'm like, fuck. So here's all this time I thought my dad, like the worst thing that happened to me was the stuff that my dad did to me for yeah. sure. But the best thing that ever happened to me was because of my dad. So it was almost like this arc where all this time I thought my dad was a bad guy, but as I got older and understood that he had his own problems, came around to the other side, and one of the best gifts I've ever gotten in my life was from him. You're like the you're like the kid in that boy named Sue, right? Yeah, kind Song. of. Yeah, yeah. Now, do you think just in, in, uh, do you have to be broken to be a good stand-up comedian? <laughs> like, that's a really interesting question. It's funny. I, I joke about that. I don't think you have to be, but I think um, people who are broken uh, use it. I think it's a human thing, right? I think it's a human... It's funny that people call comedians dark. Yeah. I don't think comedians... I think audiences are dark. I think comedians are light because we like to put a light on dark things. It's audiences that say, hey, turn off that light. Don't talk about this. Don't talk about that. We're not dark. We're light. Telling, saying a comedian is dark is like saying a firefighter loves arson. No, he doesn't. He's the one putting out the fire. And that's what we do. We're the ones putting light on the darkness. We're the ones talking about child abuse. We're the ones talking about these different things that they they don't want us to talk about. So it's actually audiences that are dark. That is a wonderfully contrarian opinion. And I just want to, I want to fight against it. (laughs) I think I agree though. But like, you know, yeah, like you, I mean, 
Is it bringing a light to child abuse when you make a crack about that? When you talk about it. Or like a Bill Cosby joke or, you know. Yeah. Is that really being light or dark? I'm not sure. Well, I mean, listen, if you look at like um, hip hop, right? And you look at like uh, films like 8 Mile, right? Battle rapping, the original word for battle rapping was playing the dozens. That's what they call it in the streets. It's called playing the dozens where you make fun of each other back and forth. And the reason why they call it that is because playing the dozens came from slavery. They used to sell slaves one at a time unless there was something wrong with the slave. And then they'd sell them by the dozen. So there'd be 12 slaves in a cage, one with a hair lip, one with a messed up arm, one with a limp, and they'd all start making fun of each other. And, that's, and, and the same thing happened in concentration camps. Every, everybody who's in pain, I think it's a human response. to it's, And it's a beautiful thing. All of us yeah. are going to die. All of us are going to die. We're waiting our turns. There, we don't know why we're here. He's, you know what I mean? For our listeners, he's smiling as he says yeah. that, by the way. <laughs> because I'm proud of us well, as, you, a, as a species. In fact, a light, yeah, you're a light person. It's hard. I am now, yeah. but I wasn't. So oh, that's true. Comedy comes from a dark space, right? Yeah. That's kind of the vibe. Like I saw something you, you Instagrammed or tweet. I don't know what process you have, but it was about how... You like making people laugh because when you're a kid, that stops <laughs> stop you from getting beaten up, yeah. right? And that's that, a, that's that, a true I thing. Think. So so often comedy comes from a dark place because it, it's this almost like survival mechanism that yeah. you start trade. Like I haven't had to train my comedy muscle from when I was five years old because I didn't have that sort of upbringing, right? So you yeah. almost get a you get a head start uh, yeah. in front of everyone else for that because you start in that one special category yeah. yeah I think it was what happens like when something something is taken away and then something else gets sharpened when you're parking your car you turn on the music so that your eyes get better right so you can, your sense of space gets better you turn your music off even though your ears have nothing to do with right. parking in a tight like spot. Like how daredevil can... Deaf people see better. Yeah. Echo locate. Exactly. Yeah. Emotionally hurt people make laughter yeah. more easily. I think if you take away my sense of belonging it heightens my need to make other people validate me. Mm -hmm. Like there was a kid that used to beat me up every day. And there's a really interesting thing that happens when someone beats you up for a reason versus someone beating you up for no reason. There was nothing I could do. And then I reached, and just like there's nothing we could do about death. And then you just go, fuck it, you know? So I remember the next day I was at school and I'm like, this guy's gonna beat me up anyway. And he's got these giant ears that no one talks about. And I just started making fun of him. And I just started making fun of the guy. And all of a sudden, everybody was laughing at him. And I could see it in his face. It was as if I punched him. And he, hey. he it was awesome. And then he came up to me and he goes, hey, man, uh, if you stop making fun of me, I'll stop beating you up. And I was like, holy shit, that's power. <laughs> and two weeks went by of not getting beat up and actually becoming friends with the toughest kid in school. But I missed the laughs. <laughs> so I started making fun of him again. <laughs> I took it. I literally made jokes and took the beating. Yeah, because I yeah, and then and, and then we ended up becoming friends and yeah. you know tortured the whole school. There's I mean there's <laughs> oh, that's interesting. There's you know one of the lesser talked reasons for comedy. So like what makes something funny is power dynamics. You know and like and then with guys we're always kind of like muscling in for like hierarchy status and things like and I you know comedy puts a is a real mechanism for that. You know, if you're on a sports team, you make fun of somebody to show that, like, you're the big dick and he's a weenie or something. But it, I don't know, it's interesting in, a, in like, a, a child's environment like that, yeah. that you did discover the power of that. Yeah. And then, uh, then you got so addicted to it that you got beat <laughs> just yeah. to get back totally. to the mountaintop. Well, it's funny. Seinfeld said this thing that's, like, really inspired me and inspired 
the, like when the business makes me thirsty, the art lets me drink. You know what I mean? Like I love focusing on the art. I hate being distracted by the business. I don't, I don't like it. But Seinfeld said this thing that I really liked, which is don't be the type of comedian that uh, is driven by, I'll show you. I'll prove it to you. I'll mm-hmm. show you how good I am or be driven by anger. Be driven by love because that's the kind of fuel you never run out of. You will run out of anger. Like anger is like nitrous. It'll give you a big boost, but it'll burn out really quick. Yeah. But if you love something and if you come from love, you'll never run out of that fuel. And so that's why I always try to like, there's times where we all do it. We get competitive with one another. We see a comic that doesn't respect us as much as we think we should be respected. We see a club that doesn't respect us and we go, I'll show them. Yeah. And a lot of times the set isn't as good as when you see a bunch of people in a room that do love you and you want them to have a great time and you get out of yourself for a minute and you, just, you do the show that's in front of you instead of the show that's in your head and then magic happens. And that's, and I think he's right. I think like if you're fueled by love instead of fueled by competitiveness or, or anger or entitlement, that you'll, you'll fuel your car with a way cleaner fuel. Driving on ethanol instead of letting yeah. gas. At least for me. For me, yeah, competition, for I think, feel like definitely yeah. pushes me forward. Sure, I need of to I need to feel like I'm gonna I'm show I'll, you that you're wrong, Tamar. And <laughs> I, I, I put myself into like yeah. a competitive mindset with like Matt or someone like sure. that because I'm like it, it just feels good to have someone that you want to be. You know? Don't t- don't get me wrong. Uh, I think it is really healthy. I think that's one of the best things about New York for me was I kept seeing great comedy all the time. But I think competitiveness is like fats. There's good fat and there's bad fat. And yeah. then there's good competition, like the healthy kind that you get in yeah. plants. And then there's bad competition, like you get in late night fried foods. Well, you we've often I mean? talked about this. We've talked about it on the podcast as to back before Barcelona was the hub of European comedy, <laughs> before <laughs> everything was happening in Barcelona. Yeah. We talked about uh, what you needed to create good comedy. And you kind of touched on this at the start of the, the episode where you felt like you were almost stifled by the level of competition there was in New York and it stopped you from uh, being able to try new jokes and do this kind of thing. Whereas we feel like in Barcelona, the level of competition is is lower. Sorry, everybody. But the level of support is higher. uh, And we think that can be a basis for a really, really good comedy scene if we can maintain that. So that's been a little bit the battle that we've had over the last... I totally get that, years, and, really. I've, and I've been a big believer in quantity creates quality. Like, if you're in a city that has a massive population, it's going to make you good. But then people like Cristiano Ronaldo popped out of tiny places like Madeira. Mm-hmm. And I realized that if you, if you change your folk, just because you live in a place doesn't mean you can be inspired competitively by that place. Now, thanks to Netflix and every other streaming service, I can watch all the greatest comics in the whole world yeah. and, and be inspired and say, I want to be as good, if not better, even though I live in a place where I might be one of the better English-speaking comics. Mm-hmm. I, I want to be bigger than, bigger than that place. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. in terms of uh, what we're doing, because the last thing that we want would be to be like New York. And, and, and I mean, we want to be the place where, where new, all comedians are trying out new material all the yeah. time and they feel comfortable to be able to do that. So for you, what's like the ideal structure of a show in terms of like, I don't know, audience and like put together your, your ideal show for us. Uh, for me, it's honesty. I think sometimes support uh, can, can fault uh, a comedian. I, I think the only thing the audience owes us is honest, honest reactions. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what we need. I saw in New York, I saw Chris Rock at an open mic and he stood perfectly still and spoke really slowly. And I looked at him and I'm like, man, your set's real different in here than it is at the <laughs> cellar. And he started laughing and he said, and, he, and I, I really respect Chris Rock for this. He goes, listen, man, 
if I added rock to my jokes, they would laugh at anything I said. For sure. But I want my jokes to have integrity. I want to make sure that the architecture of my jokes are, are sound. Uh -huh. So I'm going to say that joke as dry as I can, as slowly, as unexciting as I can. And if that joke works on its own, then I'll add the rock. And I was like, wow. Yeah, we've sometimes talked about a bomb-proof room and how that's uh, a dangerous thing to have because yeah. people just hear they can't even it believe that help. you're doing comedy in Barcelona in English at all. So yeah. they get there and they hear what is structured like a joke and they laugh their heads off because yeah. whatever. One of the first conversations I had with uh, Michelle was after she'd performed, everyone just was you know loopy about it. They couldn't believe it their luck and I sort of congratulated her after and she said yeah maybe if I perform here enough times eventually <laughs> I'll be able to figure out whether my jokes are any good or not <laughs> yeah right and I think yeah. that's where she's going uh -huh. yeah she's right it's a really it's a really interesting thing uh, how that uh, happens yeah yeah seems like a great problem to have. It is a great, and it's, it's a great problem for Europe. I can't Europe. wait. It's a great problem for Europe too, because if you think about it, like I had an audience member say this thing to me, and this isn't like me trying to pat my back, but it's something that I'm actually excited about, where a comic came into me and said, or, uh, a comic and a, and a guy that was in the audience goes, that was one of the best sets I've ever seen. You're my new favorite comic. And I'm like, get out of here. He's like, no, I'm serious. You made me laugh more than Chappelle. And I'm like, Ooh. I'm like, dude, don't say that. Don't, don't say wow. that's like you going up to a girl at a bar and saying you're the prettiest girl I've ever seen. And I'm like, looking at you going, you just want to stick things in my butt. <laughs> you know what I mean? Don't say shit that's not true. He goes, no. And then he goes, you don't understand. I've been living in Europe for a long time. And every time I see Chappelle or I see rock or I see Bill Burr, I'm getting an export. They're on like um, second gear here. Definitely yeah, but true. He, but yeah. when they come, it's not just that they're on second gear. They're bringing material that they didn't write for Europeans. Oh. Mm -hmm. They're talking about life in America. So everything that people get here in terms of a comedy audience is a perspective of an American life. It's really funny when American comics pop over and then they, they're like, hey, how about the Green Line in Brooklyn, yeah. right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, and I've seen the greatest comedians do that in, in England too. I've, yeah. seen, I've seen amazing comics from England come to places like Portugal and start talking about Croydon. And people are like, who the fuck? We don't know what Croydon is. Yeah. And, it, and, it's, and it's, it's a, um, a micro-behavior. It's a human thing. Of course you're going to make a mistake like that. But the reality is once you do make direct eye contact with an audience in Europe and you start talking to them about their life from a higher level of comedy than they've ever seen, they love that more than comedy that's even at a higher level than yours, but that's talking about a life that they don't live. And there's something about that, that that's really exciting because I think in the very near future... Because they love you. Well, that's exciting. They love us, but yeah. what that means is that this, no. this, this soil that you guys have dropped seeds into is very fertile soil. And there's, very, there's a real possibility that in the very near future, there are going to be people saying, some of the best comics I've ever seen in my life were at the clubhouse in Barcelona. That can happen. Yes. Well, well, yeah, a lot of people have been saying that. Uh, it's been described recently by someone fairly well known as uh, the comedy seller 50 years ago, right? I think was the... That's amazing. Was it uh, 50? Yeah. But it, um, How old was this person? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think... Probably not 50 years ago. You give yeah, a I think more like 30 or something. Sure. Um, so, yeah, you. I cut you off when you were saying the future. And so you just think there's a lot of potential here too. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, I think COVID because... Um, COVID had well, no. I cut him off. I felt bad. No, I didn't. Don't worry. I, if if it if I, you, you didn't cut me off. I okay. wouldn't let you know. Uh, <laughs> I, I just think like because we want to get out of COVID so badly, <clears throat> we're not necessarily smelling the roses on the way out and paying attention to the small changes and shifts that it's making in society. We just want it to be over. Yeah. You know. And I think that COVID is changing people. 
Like I, I performed in Afghanistan a few times and one of my friends asked me what was it like to perform for people out there? And I said, there's a big difference between performing for people who want to laugh and performing for people who need to laugh. And this is the first time outside of Afghanistan performing for people post-COVID where it feels like I'm performing for the soldiers in Afghanistan. These aren't people who want to laugh. These are people who need to laugh. And you could hear it in the laughter, right? Like it, that's what happens when you, when you start doing comedy like past 10 years. It's like, like in California, there's one word for snow. In Alaska, there's 120. When you start comedy, there's one word for laugh. But when you start after 10 years, you start noticing different kinds of laughs. Like a connoisseur. Yeah. You're like, ah, that was a, that's, a oh, that's a cheap laugh. I've heard yeah. that term before. Yeah. Never. Like that's a cheap, cheap laugh. That's, I don't, a, that's, I don't a shock, that's a shock laugh. Yeah. They're not laughing at the joke. They're laughing at, I can't believe he said this horrible thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? But that's not, you know, that's not a certain kind. I've had a guy tell me, you had the best set at this showcase, but it was, but you're not getting in to the Just for Last Festival. And I was like, what? And he goes, yeah. He's like, he's like, this is the third time I've seen you. The third time you've had some of the biggest laughs in the room. He's like, well, I'm just being honest with you. I like you. I think you've got great material, but you have to be a little bit more cautious about which jokes you pick for your five-minute set. And mm. I go, Why? how am I not original? What lo I have a Muslim dad. I have a Jewish dad. I, I, and he goes, yeah, I know. He said, like, but when you say that joke, I have a Muslim dad and a Jewish mom, but I don't look like either one because I grew up in a Mexican neighborhood. And I look simultaneously dangerous and helpful. He's like, that's a, you know, I look like I work in the accounting department of a Mexican gang. He's like, that joke's beautiful. He's all, but the architecture is common. I look like I'm from this and this, so I look like that. Yeah. That's not unique. And I was like, fuck. I was a wine drinker who says, I like white or I like, I like red, trying to convince a sommelier. You know what I mean? Yeah. He was looking at the grapes and I was judging the wine. And he was like, no, man, you, you're better than this. And it's not just about how the response you get from the audience. It's about how original are, are you being on top of that? And I was like, and it was a great education. It hurt, but it was great. And that's, I think, what comics need yeah. is honesty, even if it hurts, but, it, but it's directionally sound. Yeah, there's some stuff that's maybe just a, just a little old-fashioned and when you first start doing comedy, you don't realize it. But like, I don't know, if you got up on stage, you're like, have you ever noticed or like, yeah. what's the deal with? Yeah. Whatever. And, yeah. And, and people that are really into comedy would go, yeah. oh, that feels a little... And dude, there's nothing wrong with those jokes. Like, uh -huh. I, I don't think like his advice was never have a joke like that. You have to, right? Like if I'm, if I'm ordering lobster, there's going to be rice and beans on the plate. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I have to have jokes that are in between because you don't want a set that just goes up, 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 up. It's got to have an arc, like a great story. It's got to have an up and, an, and a down. And, sure. and, 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 and they have to have a chance to kind of rest in the middle. There's a reason why great comedy movies are never more than 90 minutes because people get tired. Comedy is not like other Don't things. Don't tell Judd Apatow that. <laughs> but it's true. It's true. People can't laugh after a certain point. That's why I don't yeah. understand these people that are doing longer and longer specials as a way to swing dicks. You, why are you doing a three-hour special and a two-hour special when people don't... People now want less. They want yeah. 30 minutes. Everything else is less. Why is comedy going longer? And I think it's because the people on the top of the wisdom totem pole are not digital, notive, uh, digital <laughs> natives. You know what I mean? They grew up without the internet. Well, and again, it's what you're saying, though. It's about them it's them yeah. showing what they can do and the, how long they can go exactly i mean i think it's insecurity a little bit like yeah. louis louis ck kind of changed things by loudly announcing he's going to do a new special every year and then other people felt obligated to show that they can do it too and it's yeah. really probably not to the betterment of everybody yeah it, the quality of the specials go down but you know what makes it the quality of the special go up when things happen to you Oh, you know like what I mean? Oh yeah. Yeah, like yeah. Chris Rock. One of my one of my favorite specials uh, that Chris Rock ever did was after the divorce and getting caught cheating. 
Louis, Louis' best special times. was after he got you know in trouble. His next special mm. was the best special I've ever seen. You know, what I mean? so I think it's like you. There's certain things you can't control with time, and art is one of those things. You can't say like I'm going to spend one one year. I'm going to spend two years. It's like no, but what happened in those years? That's what's going to dictate whether or not people are ready for the special. If I go out and fuck up some more, will that make me funnier? Yeah. Or, how do I get it good will. at this? Yeah. It will, because then you're living life. And, and then you, you, have, you have more to say. I was, uh, just today, I was juggling knives in the park. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, was, I was having a lot of fun. Up, I was really, I was in my own world. I was listening to music. I was, I was juggling two knives and eating an apple at the same time, which for <laughs> me felt like quirky and non-threatening. Uh, but the police disagreed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they came over. They were like, people see you with those with those knives, juggling knives in public. What are they going to think? I was like, if someone's using knives to juggle, I think people are probably going to think that that's what I'm doing. Like you, see, you see a chef chopping food with a knife? You're like, that chef's using that knife to chop food. It's cool. We're safe, right? Huh. But... Uh, they didn't agree. Uh, <laughs> so you were busking, and they, uh, I wasn't even busking. I was just practicing. Oh, you're just doing uh, it for fun. I was just mucking around. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I was I was stoked about that whole experience because I started writing strips. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. I think uh, the, I mean Hemingway used to say it best. He said, "It's our job as writers to notice what others only see." Mm -hmm. That's why some of my oh, favorite jokes. Nice. It's great, right? That's and nice it, that's why I love when people in an audience go, "Oh my God, that's so true." Yeah. If you get them right then, then you could say almost anything for the punchline. That's like Nirvana level comedy, though. Yeah. That's after so many where you can like reveal truths. You yeah, know? that's and also make people look at a life that's not theirs from a new angle. Yeah, like when I talked about being an immigrant, I knew that the majority of the room wasn't immigrants. So I would say things like moving from Egypt was like moving to the future, and they're like, "Oh, I don't have to be an immigrant to go like." Oh, yeah, that is what it must be like to move from a country that's a developing nation to America where we have all this technology, great medicine, great food, great all this stuff. It is like moving to the future. So even them who've never been immigrants, I saw people in the crowd who were born in America nodding their heads in the right direction. Yeah. That's a good uh, – so this is, this is a two-part question. Sure. No, but, uh, you know, we're, we're coming up on the end of our time for this podcast today, and um, – I kind of want to lead us towards talking about your your solo act that you've got on Friday and Saturday. Sure. And what so what I'm kind of curious about is whether or not so now you probably do perform almost exclusively to immigrants now that you're in in Europe I'm and more you're speaking so. to like English speakers. So has has your has your comedy changed stylistically or just in content? Yeah, I think so. I think it, it not even. I think the content, it, I, ironically, the content seems more the same than anything else because I'm still writing about my life. Even though, you know, my life's changed, but I'm still writing about my life. But I'm now not performing to English speakers. I'm performing to people who use English as a bridge language. And I think like English as a bridge language is what's in my head. It's as a, as a, as a thing that connects people. And so that makes me write differently and think differently. And it makes my pacing differently, which actually I like better. I think in New York, I spoke too fast. And I think when I started to slow down, I became, and especially when I started talking about things that were painful, I spoke way too fast. Man, I already think that you move too fast. <laughs> Honest to God. You know, because the other day I was, uh, this is like a couple months ago, I, you know, I started kind of like working through my stuff and, you know, trying to get like laughs per minute or this or that. And then I look at you and Mike Rice and they're, it's so dense. Mm -hmm. There's so much 
so many fucking laughs per minute mm-hmm. that I'm like, how am I ever like? Because you, what you and Mike do particularly well is that that kind of joke structure where it's set up punchline, tag, 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 mm-hmm. like, and those tags are just brutal and they get big laughs every time and they're fast. Thanks, man. Yeah, well. But it fucking pisses me off because I can't well, do it. Well, it shouldn't. It shouldn't because it's not. That's the blue collar yeah. part of the art, and everybody can do the blue collar part. All you gotta do is sweat. That's mm. not like a, a gift. That's that the work. That's the work it. exactly because the thing that makes it seem like it's just punch, 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 punch is that we got rid of the fat, 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 right? So it's the 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 architecture is right fat and it's skinny. And yeah. that's why Twitter is such a useful tool. You remove words that are unnecessary. You don't say I'm very tired. You just go I'm tired. You don't say sometimes, you say people do this, you know, and, and that is, it's, that's the punchiness, no fat, get to the joke because, and the reason why New York is such a great environment for that is not because there's a tremendous amount of clubs, it's because there's a tremendous amount of people that don't have patience. <laughs> that's what New York, I saw a lady in a coffee shop in New York go, um, and everybody in line was like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Do not say the word um in New York. Know what you want before you get to the front of the counter. I could just see the bodega. <laughs> the second she starts to even, the, the guy behind her goes, ah, oh, this fucking guy. Dude, I, I saw it. a guy who was so nervous that he forgot the word of the drink he wanted and he just started making the sounds. Instead of an espresso, he goes, um, um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Everybody was like, espresso, give him an espresso. <laughs> it was, he was so panicked, the poor guy. <laughs> Man, New York sucks. Why, why does It's also the be- most beautiful city in the world to me at the same Thanks. time. You know what I mean? Like, I used to say this. I think my relationship with America is like my relationship with cocaine. Oh, I still love it. <laughs> <laughs> but I know it's not good for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, why don't you give us a little preview of your, your solo show coming up, and then we, we got to wrap up for the day. How so do you what, 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 what can we expect? What, you know? I, well, you know what's funny? is like I, I think I grew up in a very weird environment. I am a, a rescue animal of a person. Yeah. And, uh, like, and, and I'm all of us, I'm suspicious of everybody in Europe. <laughs> like when I met, even when I met you guys, they're like, they're, they're so friendly. What do they want? That can't right? be right. <laughs> every, it's true, man. Like every time I've hugged people here, I let go first. I don't know. Really? Like people are so nice. And then I get uncomfortable. I hug back and then yeah. they've let go and it gets very awkward. But I think, um, I think I'm a rescue animal who's learning to be comfortable in the house. Like there's a point where the rescue animal goes, okay, this is home. Mm. And, I, and at, at first I, I was like very out of sorts and I wrote a ton about it. So I think if, if you're an expat, if you're an immigrant, or if you're someone who's a traveler, then you're going to relate to a lot of the stuff that I say, because it's, it's about the stuff we, we, have, we all have in common. And it's kind of the stuff I've always wanted to write, because I was an only child who lived at home alone with both parents working. So the thing I wanted most in my life is to connect with people. So I think that's where my jokes True come from. True latchkey kid. hundred percent. And for some reason, some asshole who was the programming director used to put Twilight Zone on at 3.30 every day in Los Angeles. So I'd come home and watch scary TV shows. Alone. Alone. Yeah, and so I would, uh, I remember <laughs> having to go to the bathroom but not using a toilet because <clears throat> I was afraid Bloody Mary was in the mirror. So I started peeing on all the houseplants. And, <laughs> and then like two weeks like later, my mom was like, I don't understand it. It used to be so good with plants. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I think it's that. I think it's, um, I think the, the special essentially is about me hating a dad and then finding a way to love him after he was dead. And I think um, living a life with anger and finding a way to be able to look at a sunset with a bald head, a scar next to my eye and arms 
covered in tattoos and be able to say, that's really pretty. <laughs> <laughs> I think the first Without time I've drugs. ever, yeah, you know, like I, this, this year has been the first time I've been able to say, wow, that's a beautiful tree. I've never said things like that before. And I, I think it's, uh, I, it's very weird to look like something you're, you are not anymore. And I, I, I don't, I don't look like the way I am now, and yeah. I, but I, I like where I am. And I, I like, I very much like living here and I like, um, I like the expat community a lot. What, I think what would this new Tamra look like before we end? I just some little <laughs> question. I look, I look weird driving a Prius. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I'm a liberal. I'm like the guy saying, fuck Trump. And yeah. then there's guys who look just like me going, no, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I know in the, in the past, there'd Should be... Should we get you a cardigan? Like a <laughs> yeah, sweater, I think maybe I need a cardigan. A cardigan with flames on the side of the sleeves. <laughs> I look like a hell's angel, but I'm not anymore yeah. that kind of a person. All right. Uh, well, man, thanks so much for being on the thanks podcast. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah. yeah. And I, congrats to you guys. Let me just say one quick thing is I'm so fucking uh, proud of this scene. Like when I came here, there wasn't a lot. There, there was a love one of comedy. Show. One show. There was one show. There was a love of comedy. There was a lot of people who really, who were natural comics and enjoyed comedy. And, and you guys were just like the comics I knew in New York in a lot of ways. But the scene... Uh, you know, it's just like anything else. Like, I think we came and what do they always say? If you want to make an enemy, change something. Yeah. And there was a lot of times where I'm like, no, but what if we did this? What if we did this? And I was like, oh, fuck, I don't want to make enemies. I don't want these people to hate me. And and to to leave and come back and to see what you guys have done is, I'm so, it sounds weird because I've never been a dad, but I'm so proud of you guys. <laughs> Thanks, like, it's buddy. it's really, That's it's nice. really impressive. And I'm, I'm really proud of the scene. I'm really proud of everyone here. I'm 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 excited for the future. I think it's uh, I think it's going to be really bright. It's been yeah, it's been a real exciting couple of days. Uh, we'll we'll have more news on the clubhouse and things that are going on there uh, next week, perhaps. Mm -hmm. But definitely, um, we got to like solidify things. But changes are coming, and it's just a really great time to be doing comedy here in Barcelona. I agree. I think. Let's see if how ticket sales go. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> um, so with that though, like, thank you again, Tamar. Thanks for having me. Man. Yeah, man, you are just like an encyclopedia of comedy. Oh, thanks. That well, Seinfeld quote, uh, I guess it wasn't actually his quote, but it was a beautiful line. The thanks. art, the business makes me thirsty. Art oh, no, I wrote, that's my that's line. That's your line. That's my line. Oh. <laughs> that's not Seinfeld. <laughs> Seinfeld was when he said, uh, if, you get, if, you if you're fueled by love, you'll never run out of gas. Seinfeld said that? Yeah. I find that so it's hard very, to believe. very, yeah, like hippy-diffy, right? Yeah. It is really hippy-diffy, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, he's right. a guy that got... He's, he's gotten soft, I think. He got married and has kids, and he's, like, happy in life. Yeah. It's, like, it's very... His last special was pretty tight, though. It was pretty good. Yeah. Pretty solid. He's He does good work. Yeah, yeah that's Seinfeld. I think he's going to make something of himself. <laughs> uh, Johnny Boy, any any news for you? Nah, we can... We can uh, wrap up. Wrap Let's up. just remind our listeners that we have a fantastic solo show. Tamar is at Thank 9 o'clock Friday and Saturday. Get your tickets yep. now. Uh, we got the bomb shelter on Friday night. It will be fine. Uh, <laughs> uh, show up, go up, same thing, Saturday, 7 p.m. And tits, tits up, tits Saturday up night. at 10.30 uh, p.m., which yeah. is a, Such a great name. female only <laughs> performer show. If you're a bloke, you can come to the show. What if you have boobs? Uh, <laughs> if you're a guy with boobs, definitely come to the show. Nice. Uh, as long as they're up, you're, you are in. And it's going to be hosted by our very own Kyla Cobbler as well. Awesome. Um, so she's an amazing she, host. Yeah, she's been doing a lot of hosting, a lot of shows. She's, um, she's great. She's doing great, yeah. for sure. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank Yay. you so much for listening. Uh, thanks again, Tamar, Johnny Boy. Thanks for thanks, having me, guys. guys. I've been Dr. Yeah. Matt. Thank you and good night. Good night.
That's a lot of ball exposure, John. Oh, buddy. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> that's, right. that's Matt that's got his balls on display. Oh, my God. 